to another episode of Ready Teacher One. I'm Adam Mangana. And I'm Ryan McLaughlin. With us today is Quinn Tabor. He's the founder and CEO of Immerse VR. Quinn, welcome to the podcast. We are so excited to chat with you this afternoon. Yes, same, same, same. The pleasure is all mine. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Quinn, why don't you start off by just telling us a little bit about Immerse and what you guys are all about? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So a little bit of background, Immerse, uh, we've been working on it for like five years, which is super exciting. We've got a little birthday every year on the date of our incorporation and our five-year birthday is coming up. It's a company. Happy um, birthday. I know. Thank you. We'll, we'll invite you out to the, the VR chat party. Um, so the backstory, I actually grew up with parents in philanthropy. I grew up in places like the Middle East and Asia and parts okay. of Europe and then came back to the U.S. for high school and college. And the whole time really was just felt a huge loyalty to especially people in the Middle East. Um, my parents did a lot of refugee work and helped with asylum seekers. So I, even though I studied finance and economics, which is kind of like the nerdy business side, I spent my first three years out of college back in the Middle East, working with a big philanthropist on the Syrian refugee crisis. So I, I, for two of those three years, I lived in a refugee slum with six Syrian refugees. I learned Arabic, got to like really do life serving in those communities that were like really impacted by the Syrian civil war. And in the process, got really excited about linguistics and kind of the sub-branch or category within linguistics, which is immersive language learning. And that can start to kind of lead into what we've been working on for now five years. That's incredible. Uh, Quinn, I noticed on your profile on LinkedIn that you uh, began work on a PhD in this realm that we're talking about, and you left that behind to start Immerse, right? Isn't that wild? Yeah. One day I will circle back, but right now I, I'm kind of in that interim of like, I got a third of the way through and then quit to start a startup. You know, but you, say- must be, you must be so convinced and so sold on the vision of what you're doing that uh, it caused you to walk away from a, a really prestigious academic program. And Tell us a little bit about what it is about the opportunity with VR that's got you so convinced that you were uh, you were ready to make this big transition. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. It kind of was, especially if you think back to 2017, it was a leap of faith at the time. Sure. Where like 2022, it's kind of a different story. Maybe we get some more like kind of positive tailwinds that are pushing VR forward. For sure. 2017 was a little nerve wracking. If you're able to kind of go back in time, I was like, okay, at the time, VR had this little surge in fundraising for startups and they didn't do so hot. And then AR was kind of the big combo topic at the time. So for me, and then my technical co-founder and then the two other first guys that really joined, our conviction really was around all of the kind of the signals in linguistics are pointing towards if you want to learn a language, you have to immerse. So even for me, if I'm studying Spanish or French, I can do so in the classroom. I can do so on Duolingo, and I'm not going to spend my time bashing them. But really, we all kind of intuitively know, and the science backs up, the best way to learn is to just move to Barcelona. If you're going to learn Spanish, you will learn so much quicker, so much more effectively. And there's, there's just a lot of both the kind of psychology of learning science that underpins that and our own intuitive experience. So that whole time I'm trying to think through like gosh it feels so intuitive if the tagline of virtual reality which is called like 
immersion, <laughs> like, oh, I'm, I'm immersing in VR. And then linguistics, it's the exact same concept. I'm like, there's, there, someone will crack the code to figure out how to bring these two fields together. It might as well be us. So that's well, that's what kind of fueled us at the time. That's some that's some amazing foresight on your part, Quinn. Because I, uh, you know, part of our origin story, Adam and I, is that yeah. uh, we met in graduate school uh, in 2017, no and way. at the time, you know, we were sitting in classes together, and Adam was saying things like, you know, I really believe that VR is the future of education, and. Man, uh, not a lot of people saw that at that moment. Uh, I think I was kind of the only one in our in our cohort, maybe one or two other people that were like, mm. man, I'm curious to hear more about what you have to say about that, Adam, because a lot of people didn't see it in 2017. So kudos to you for having that foresight, man. Oh, thank you. So, so Quinn, I'm, I'm really excited about what you're doing because I completely yeah. agree that uh, the tool for learning a language, it's just like a no-brainer. But, the, mm. but I'm, I'm curious because my mind extends to this idea, not only of learning a language, but preserving a language. And so, and so particularly as we think about areas of the world that are under-resourced or that are um, mm. you know, being impacted by globalism and, and the impacts of macroeconomics, you know, it seems like an incredible tool to preserve a language or a culture and be able to pass those gifts from generation to generation. Ooh. And I and I, I think I'm teeing you yeah. up. You're, you're, oh, you're, you're, you're beaming. Take it and dunk it. dunk it. Dunk it. Oh, this Quinn. is dunk the assist it. right here. The alley-oop. <laughs> Even let me like piggyback because I also, I, I have just from my own personal story and my family, so my mom's Middle Eastern and she's from some of these minority groups. So that, that is like a present conversation, right? Wonderful. Like, man, culture and all of the intrinsic value there in places like the middle east in 2017 2015 when i was over there were really at risk of disappearing like literally almost like a culture uh, in the same way like an animal can go extinct like a culture can show and so then here's here's the here's the like interesting kind of just riffing with you is one of the reasons that i've come to even love linguistics more is linguistics is super cross-disciplinary and the other kind of concentric circles it overlaps with, sociology, even like the history of linguistics is like a really core uh, element. Things like body language are actually like a lot of it's a perfect. Two thirds of communication is body language. That's all stuff that actually gets communicated in VR. So to take it one step beyond, it's like, okay, well, we can codify and like write down What's, a, what's maybe a language we all have heard of, but not many people speak it more? Yiddish, just as an example. I don't know Yiddish. I'm not Jewish in background, so I don't have that same cultural like connection, but for a lot of people, it's a big deal. Think of not just writing it down, but also almost canonizing the context that Yiddish was spoken in, in VR. You could go visit these ancient places in a virtual environment, meet with whether it's recorded or live, a native Yiddish speaker, and learn about their cultural values, learn about their uh, pop culture, everything, all, kind of all the key tenets in a fully immersive environment. I think that goes beyond just writing down the, the lexis of a language, but actually embodying the cultural, all of the cultural trappings yeah. that otherwise never could get saved. Quinn, you know, just to riff off of what you've said, I mean, you think about also 
the idea of perspective taking and walking a mile in yeah. one's avatar, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and I think also about the power of VR as a truth seeker. So if you think mm. about this two-dimensional mm. video right here, right? I'm sitting in a cafeteria in a hotel, but it looks like I'm in a fancy place because I'm deceptive mm -hmm. in this two-dimensional video. If we had a 360 camera, right? Mm. You would see my entire space and I couldn't hide from you, right? So now you imagine mm. taking a 360 camera in the context of a place where oppression is happening, right? There's some serious challenges, complex political challenges in the Middle mm. East, right? And you show the full picture in a way that a two-dimensional camera would be lying to us, right? And so I'm just so curious about how you think about this from an ethical perspective and from a moral perspective and, and how you think this intersects with this idea of can we have a more truthful and transparent experience as we are learning a culture? And can we move away from true, you know, kind of assimilation and uh, appropriation yeah. Yeah and into really wow. appreciation. Ooh, man, I want to I stand up. <laughs> You're getting me going. So I couldn't agree more. And I think that's, there's a, there's a unique kind of set of dynamics in language right now that the economics of language, learning and teaching are starting to kind of centralize around some of the biggest world languages, which is actually, it's a good and a bad thing. It's, it's actually really empowering for a Syrian refugee to learn English. That helps with their visa application, helps with employment, helps with getting into maybe grad school online or potentially even getting like a student visa to study in the, in the UK. Um, so for us, we, we've gone back and forth on those two sides of the coin of like, okay, long-term, we very much value some of the smaller market languages, if you were to just kind of look up the number of learners globally, but what we've really been able to double down on is, okay, we're a business. We gotta find a way to make payroll and hire and all the, all the normal things of just being a business. And interestingly, 90% of the language market is English. A lot of that are students in China, in Japan, in Korea, and the UAE. And the students that can afford a pretty high price point. So our business today, on one hand, it's really exciting because it's fast growth. We're able to raise capital from investors and we're even gonna announce shortly like a new fundraise that we're about to complete for $8 million. It's like, we're gonna hire, we're gonna grow. Yeah. yeah. And it, we kind of had to do something that was market driven, teaching English to people around the world. But now that we have all of those tools, curriculum, and teaching staff, we actually set up a separate 501c3 that's donor funded. And we've now set up these little VR English schools in the Middle East. So it's the partners that I used to work with in places like Iraq and Morocco and Tunisia, students that never could get a visa to ever study in, in the EU. Yeah. They're now in Northern Iraq, putting on a VR headset and boom, they're in New York and they're meeting with an American and they're practicing their English which for them, it's almost even more mind-blowing because it's not just finances that are restricting them. It is geopolitics. Like these folks sure. could never come to New York. And VR is letting them kind of surmount that, which gets me, oh, gets me going. 
you know, the equity side of that is uh, is so beautiful for so many reasons. Uh, I mean, yeah. to to your point earlier, you mentioned uh, you know we we know for a fact that the best way to learn Spanish is to just simply move to Barcelona, right? But of course, most of us can't just pick up and move to Barcelona, right? So uh, you're you're restoring a, a level playing field to mm. language education that's uh that's really quite beautiful and compelling and something that Adam and I have talked about on this podcast quite a lot, which is that, you know, uh, it used to only be a handful of kids that could go on that field trip to Paris for spring break. Now everyone can go on that field trip to Paris. Um, and I, I love hearing you talk about like, you know, it used to only be the very, very privileged that could acquire the English language. And now it's folks everywhere. Yeah. When I, I, I would just add to that. One of the things that I've learned from Ryan in, in our friendship is, you know, not everything should be market driven. You know, I've been a bit of a, yeah. a you know, I, I think, you know, teaching English to Chinese payers, full payers, definitely for profit, right? Needs to be super efficient. Like all that makes sense. But the preserving of one's culture, particularly one's language in these, in this, in the case of your mom, yeah. like, like when I grow up, I want to be the kind of philanthropist that could do that for a place like the Nuba Mountains, right? Wow. And I don't want to create a for-profit structure around that particular enterprise because the, the end goal should not be profit-driven, right? Now, in the, in the interest of scaling uh, this new technology, the very best tool at our disposal is capitalism and is those structures, but in the interest of preserving one's culture, that's why I love that you have pivoted for this nonprofit because I think they work hand in hand, right? And you don't have to corrupt the preserving of one's exactly. culture by meeting yeah. a payroll, right? You can be talking to donors and using your superpowers there. And I yeah. think what, what's, what's, what, what this new world has mm-hmm. positioned me to begin to think about is to get out of this binary between exactly either yeah. this or this. And I think... Um, my, my good buddy here has helped me to has pushed me in this regard. Like we should be doing both. It shouldn't be a binary mm. thing, right? It's, it shouldn't yeah. be all in on one particular approach. Mm. We should use the right tool for the task at hand. So if you could talk a little bit mm. more about that idea of the yeah. right tool for Ooh, the task at hand, man, I got a right? Lot. Like if you could, if you could really drive deep into that, I know our listeners are yeah. really interested in the technology you guys are bringing, what you're using. I mean, we have a pretty technical yeah. audience, so so they know how VR is developed. So cool. if you could really talk about the tool and yeah. go deeper there, I think that would be Brilliant. really, really. Um, oh, it's it's one of my favorite questions. And interestingly, maybe given a little bit of context, just for the stage that we are as a company. So we've we had raised two and a half million from tech investors, built a prototype started distributing it, closing some big distribution and licensing contracts. So we're now at a stage where we're about to close an $8 million venture capital round, which for us is like, oh, it's such a big milestone. And it allows us to continue down this journey. Now, this is really answering your question, Adam. It allows us to continue down this journey of, dare I say, unboxing the pedagogical confines that we've had to operate in for generations now, up until the digital revolution, what was teaching? It was a blackboard and a little box classroom with a teacher and 30 students. And in this new paradigm, it's just all bets are off and everything is like this new frontier. So what we're now 
actively spending time on. And I could even, oh, it'd be so fun if I could <laughs> zoom you guys into a call that we just had an hour ago. Our head of learning and efficacy, PhD, worked at Pearson for 10 years, taught English overseas for 15 years. She's brilliant. Like really, really profoundly brilliant. Spoken at all the major industry courses on English language teaching, her, and then our head of research, who, same thing, PhD, she's a professor at numerous, like acclaimed universities in the EU, one of the first thought leaders in teaching in the metaverse. And her focus was teaching language in the metaverse back in Second Life in like the 90s, in like the early 2000s. These are the types of people that are now on our team because of this funding that are challenging a lot of assumptions and using, you guys have probably heard of the concept of like using first principles. Elon Musk really made them popular. There's a lot of cool videos on YouTube about like, okay, first principle thinking. Let's deconstruct our assumptions of what the right answer is and analyze kind of the first principles. What are the underlying truths that we can all agree on and then build on top of that? And for language, the type of lesson that we're now constructing for our learners is so different than what we all experienced when we were learning Spanish in high school. It uses this new method called emergent language, like method or approach, where it's all about untapping the latent language you have using it quickly, lowering your anxiety by all these games and activities, going to these real life role plays. So instead of learning the word for hamburger, let's do something that's a little bit, uh, <laughs> like hamburger is an international term now, apple in Arabic, tifa. That, that word took me a while to learn. I can look at that on a flashcard or if I'm in VR, let's just go to the restaurant and let me practice ordering from another student that's maybe playing the cashier or the teacher, the real life dialogue that I would actually need if I'm at a souk, like a, like a little market in Lebanon or in Syria, it taps into all of the preeminent learning science. It's a ton of fun and it's only possible because of the metaverse. That's right, that's right. And so Quinn, you guys are building a social VR experience. Yeah. Are you using a, a platform partner and building on top of that? Are you? trying to create your own platform? What's your approach to trying to figure out how to get as much content to, to these folks that are thirsting for, for great content yeah. um, as yep. possible? A really smart question. So all of our engineers are Unity developers, which is normal. Um, we've actually, from a VC, like an investor standpoint, we are contending to be definitely within language, the metaverse platform and there's i know there's a lot of different semantics around like oh everyone's in the metaverse i do agree with so we're like within the language learning ecosystem we want to build the platform that we can teach language our partner schools can teach language on so it's a it's a couple key feature sets we've closed partnerships with the largest language school chain in japan just as an example and then took that and closed the largest in germany and latam and the uk with these partners they're able to Port what we what I would think of as 2D, like almost textbook content, make it immersive, make it 3D. We've got a catalog of objects and activities and things that are things that you would have used at some point if you were a teacher in the real world, but we make it far more interactive and immersive. So we're able to basically port, create this whole authoring flow so the teacher can build out a 60-minute lesson with up to eight students live with them and pick from our suite of, I think we're up to like 45 different virtual locations in our platform. 
whether it's you could be at the Ritz Carlton's hotel lobby, you could be in Times Square, you could be at the hamburger joint, you could be at the space station, like these really, really fun scenes. But each one is really latent with learning content that's optimized for particularly teaching English right now. So yeah, Ryan and I spent a lot of time thinking about, um, you know, instructional design in VR. And so um, if you would entertain us for a moment, we're very, oh, very, 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 very curious. So is yeah. this a social experience where students are going in together and they're in these environments together? Is this a solo player type of experience? Is it photorealistic? Is it computer generated? Yeah, I mean, we're just really question. curious about how this is oh, all coming yeah. together. We made we made a couple of bets early on. One of them was that we should we should double down the computer generated. So everything is our, our assets built in Unity. It's our brand, our style. So in the same way that if you jump in the VR chat versus record versus Horizons, it's its own style. You have our own style. We're really proud of um, the very advantageous dynamic in language learning is students actually have a lowering in anxiety and a higher receptivity in a group class than, than by themselves or one-on-one -on -one with a teacher. One-on-one -on -one is actually kind of high stress. You can't sure. really escape. <laughs> so <laughs> if you look at most of the most popular language teaching companies in Asia and Europe, it's almost always group classes with eight students for those reasons. And then if you think about it from the economic side, maybe I could charge like 40 bucks for one-on-one -on -one or for a group class, 20 bucks but then I get eight people. So the economics kind of play out nicely. And the, if I were to like paint a picture, I, I wish that I could share my screen for everyone that's listening <laughs> when it's a podcast. If I were to paint a picture, just as an example, the most recent lesson that I attended as an example student was a, like a corporate career fair. There's this big trade show floor that we designed, virtually computer generated. There are the booths and big projector screen and stage. And over the 45 minute lesson, or in this case, I was practicing Spanish, which is very dismal. <laughs> um, you, we basically hard coded in four different language learning activities that each took about 10 minutes. So the teacher would present the language we were going to work on. And then she'd pair up the students and allow us to practice for maybe five or six minutes. And then we'd come back together and all share what we learned for the teacher to do a little bit of coaching. And then we'd engage in the next activity. That's tremendous. So let me ask this. I know that you're focused on um, English language at the moment. Are your environments the, the sort of things that you've built so that they could be reused for other languages down the road? Is that kind of the idea? Yes, bingo, total bullseye. Awesome. So, this is another fun one. If anything, I'd love y'all's advice. <clears throat> most, of our, most of our virtual locations, we've tried to keep them from feeling too American. <laughs> sure. Just so that we can kind of have that repeatability of like, oh, shortly. And this is another one that we come on to say, but the press release is coming. We're going to be launching Spanish this year. I won't say exactly when, because that's the part that's still in the press release. <laughs> keep people on the edge of their seat. Okay, bueno, um, que interesante. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. And <laughs> those scenes, at the end of the day, a house, a restaurant, they are wildly different. So it's been really interesting from a pedagogical standpoint to ask the question, what makes a 
restaurant in New York different than a restaurant in Barcelona. It's actually pretty fine-tuned details. They're pretty myopic. My point, which <laughs> if one of my teammates was on, they'd say like, Quinn, that's too easy. I was like, well, if you're in Spain, let's keep the room the same, but let's be able to look out the window and look at the Sagrada de Familia if you're in Barcelona. So that there is like a degree of contextualization without having to spend a lot of time on each of the little minute details. But that, that one's still, uh, that one isn't fully fleshed out. So don't quote me, that might change. In fair enough, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, so it's uh, it's not reinventing the wheel every time. It's uh, get it, giving yeah. the room a new coat of paint. Okay. Exactly, yep. So, so this is really cool. Um, do, how many of your locations do you guys build from scratch? How many of them do you source from already existing assets? I'm curious about the scalability of this model yeah. and how quickly you're able to, because you know we we all have had experience building at you know locations from scratch in Unity, mm-hmm. and that's that's quite a undertaking. It's laborious. <laughs> and yeah. so as a as to a way of, as a way of thinking about scaling, you know, and and I love the idea that you're talking about of like you know let's keep it lean and repurposing. You know, it seems to be if you have your own assets from scratch, you can license them to other curriculum companies you could do some other really interesting ways to but that's the real challenge right isn't isn't the real challenge for all of us that are in the space you know getting the content in there as quickly as possible and i think Uh, in the metaverse is right it's it's location 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 right yeah oh man especially with the boom of virtual real estate and nfts it's such an interesting kind of risk and reward analysis because on one hand uh, vcs have said well, Quinn, you want to keep everything proprietary and really optimized for language learning. And then at the same time, the next VC will say, use everything off the shelf, keep it cheap. <laughs> so there's, I think there's both sides. People have different philosophies coin. on this, right? Yeah, exactly. Where for us, I won't comment on like what percentage today versus what percentage in two years will be off the shelf and kind of like taken from asset stores. I will say that most of the like really intellectual venture capitalists I talk to, they all hypothesize, Quinn, that the ecosystem of assets is going to balloon year over year as VR and the metaverse continues to thrive. So maybe don't plant your flag on your IP being your assets in investing tens of millions of dollars into building assets. Instead, do enough to keep it custom so that it does feel like the immersed flavor but focus on your tools, focus on your branding, focus on your activities, because that's that's really our differentiator. When you're on to it, brother. More. Wait, I want wait. to circle back. <laughs> <laughs> where, where can we invest? Yeah. Oh, right. bro, let's talk. Where, where can we invest? And that was the answer I was looking for. Absolutely. Okay, there you go. Right uh, I'm glad I got it. <laughs> Quinn, I want to circle back to something that you said a second ago about uh, NFTs. Um, Something that Adam and I have kind of hypothesized for a while is that we'll reach a point where um, blockchain is going to be used increasingly for credentialing, right? And uh, we're just wondering, I think, you know, if you guys have a strategy around Mm -hmm. that, um, you know, thinking about uh, sort of the gamification that goes into some other language learning platforms and earning badges and stuff like that. And 
wouldn't it be great if that badge meant something because it was on the blockchain rather than just uh, mm-hmm. a cute dancing owl on my phone, not to call any specific platform yeah, out. but uh, I can't imagine who that is. <laughs> <laughs> but talk to us a little bit. I mean, I, I, probably a few years <laughs> off, I'd imagine, but is that something you guys have put a lot of thought into? Oh, it's, 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 a, it's a constant conversation. And it's, I will admit, it's not one that we've really intentionally wanted to plant our flag quite yet. From a VC standpoint, the premise that we're really building towards is just proving our model, scaling, and showing that it's a really sticky experience. I think sure. if I were to if I were to speak to kind of the, the whole virtual real estate conversations, I've been having that one a lot with investors. I'm like, wait, should I be in sandbox VR and decentrally? I'm like, what's going on? I feel like I'm behind. <laughs> in my mind, and from a lot of reading, those are highly speculative assets. And unless the stickiness of the experience and the monthly average usage of customers really maintains, and you can look at 6, 12, 18 months of historic data and show that Sandbox is now the new rec room, Decentraland is the new VR chat, those assets are not going to appreciate going to depreciate right so for from our standpoint we have a couple slides in our deck that are like eh, confidential around our hypotheses and what our plan is in a year or two around nfts and the virtual real estate play but our core paradigm is i think right now we're we're kind of in that hype curve that like initial quick boost where everyone's attention this is the meta rebrand Everyone's attention is on VR. So a couple of folks are going to make some quick money on virtual real estate. But I, unless, unless it's really, unless there's core utility that keeps bringing people back, a sticky experience, some of those network effects, it's not going to last and we want to outlast them. And when that is the case, you better believe that at that point we'll be really well positioned for the blockchain NFT virtual real estate conversation. Talk to us a little bit about what it is that's going to demonstrate that sticky experience that you're talking about. Yeah. Cause I know, you know, Adam and I both working in the VR and education space, um, you know, we've seen, you know, the, the PwC study and stuff like that. And, you know, obviously we, uh, we're firm believers that, you know, VR does create that sticky experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you're talking about, otherwise we simply wouldn't be here. Right. Yeah. This we all wouldn't be here. Um, right, right. But uh, tell us a little bit about from a research standpoint, like what are you, uh, what are you hoping to demonstrate? What are you hoping to find out? Good question. Yeah. So we, I'm really, I'm really proud of our work in the last year, year and a half on the research side. So with our last round of funding, that's when we hired our head of research. And now we've got a research manager, a research writer, and they're collabing with 15 different research universities around the world, Japan, India, EU, UK. US. And each university, we basically issued what we call like our research grant, which is a tiny bit of funding and some headsets and our platform for free in return that they will conduct what we call like longitudinal quantitative research, but then will be published, peer reviewed, hopefully in some of the major like computer assisted language learning type journals. So far within that process, we've had, I think, three or four officially get published. And the research is super encouraging. I think the, 
the things that were easiest to study and therefore the results are coming in the fastest. And then there's some much more kind of large hairy things that we're studying. They're gonna take longer to flesh out. So I just, I can't speak to the results quite yet. Sure. But things like within language, we call it the effective filter, which is simply put, if I'm speaking a foreign language for the first time, I'm gonna get anxious. My heart's gonna start beating. I'm gonna start sweating. It's almost like stage fright. That's one of the biggest inhibitors to language fluency. From our research, it drops precipitously, both in how students self-identify their own kind of language-related anxiety. And then there's already some really cool research around basically tracking a couple of physiological signals, eye movement, sweat, heart rate, that are proxies for stress. All of that is proving that your anxiety drops learning language in VR. Such a clear one. The other ones that are that are also pretty easy to conduct, so the, the results are in now, just like pre and post standardized tests. For students in Japan, they all have to take one of three major standardized tests to get into a university and focus on English proficiency. We've, we've conducted those with, we have like two or three different research partners, Chuo University in Tokyo. And they took the TOEIC, which is kind of like the SAT of Japan, focused on English. And their results were astounding. In five weeks, the results, and this is where I, now I need to look at the paper because I never want to really slip up on the wording. In five weeks, the results were that that you would expect in a traditional classroom in like two or three times that amount of time. So in five weeks, they achieved what you would expect in like really really strange and all that's live do you do you have that research that you might share that we can yeah. put in the oh, show notes yeah, yeah. If, as, as a follow-up we would love to yeah, yeah that's that's fantastic true. so i have an interesting question for you when obviously you got to sell what's off the truck right now what people are demanding but for if someone approached you and said hey look um i actually believe virtual reality is the best medium to teach latin or ancient mm. greek right yeah. the classics cool yeah. yeah how might you uh think about creating a latin or ancient greek curriculum yeah. using uh, you know the tools that you've assembled oh it, it would be it would be so cool and especially if you can if you can dream up like oh my gosh what if i was in athens in like 400 like bc that would be that would be so cool <laughs> anyway it's totally possible we Right now, it's, it's just back to that cost-benefit analysis of, all right, we've got investors now that are kind of holding us to the fire a little bit, so we have to perform as a business. But if we had a partner that came in and said, hey, we're a university, we want to conduct some of these classes, and we'll write about it, or research, or there will be some kind of pedagogical aim that isn't just commercial, making money, We'd probably say yes, just because we know that in order for the metaverse and language and education in the metaverse to take off, we're going to need a lot of people kind of rowing in the right direction. <laughs> and I think the more research partners that are aligned, that are just proving the efficacy time and time again, is going to speed up that adoption. Where are you located, Quinn, uh, geographically? Yeah, per personally, Southern California, but we're a remote company. So we've got someone in Turkey and Japan and EU and Bali across the US. They were, we're all over. That is absolutely incredible. Ryan, I think it's time for the Furious Five. 
I think you're Let's right, Adam. So, Quinn, we like to end the show with a segment that we call the Furious Five, which is going to be five uh, mostly more lighthearted questions, kind of more get-to-know-you sort of questions uh, in the yeah. show, kind of uh, with a smile on your face. Uh, don't necessarily have anything to do with what we've talked about today, although uh, Adam likes to bring things home a little bit uh, and tie things together with the fifth question. But without any further ado, what's the best meal that you have eaten recently? Oh, man. Bro, I <laughs> I will admit, I've had the same chicken curry from across the street from my office, like eight lunches in a row. And I just consumed it like 20 minutes ago. So if anything, I bet my uh, my, sm- <laughs> my smell probably smells like curry. <laughs> it is so good. So if y'all are ever in Southern California, call me. I got the spot. I feel like a good chicken curry place is something that every person needs to have on it's speed close. dial, right? Oh, it's, it's, it's a treasure. Yeah, near and dear. Fantastic. Well, if you're ever in Florida, I will make you my chicken curry in my home and uh, we'll compare and contrast. Second question of the Furious Five. What's the best book that you have ever personally read? Oh, dear heavens. That's a big one. I don't have a quick answer. That's okay. This is where if you could just stare at my brain, you'd see titles just like kind of swiping through really quickly as I pick one. Feel free to give us a nonfiction and a fiction if that helps it at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, so many things. Probably my muse of late has been a tech entrepreneur, now turned investor, Reed Hoffman. He's really well known in tech, billionaire. He's the guy that built LinkedIn. Um, the guy is probably one of the better teachers I've ever listened to. And it turns out he's a billionaire and has built some massive world changing companies. He's got a couple of books, I've read all of them, but then his podcast, Masters of Scale. He's a partner at Greylock. I just, I swear by it. So that's that's probably the cleanest answer. If you want my like one other quick one, there's a theologian named Dietrich Bonhoeffer that I really am impressed by. I reread some of his stuff not too long ago. And I was like, this guy, this guy knows what's up. And if you know anything about his life story, he's an amazing guy. Indeed I do. We'll, uh, we'll have that conversation offline sometime for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Oh man, good, 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 good. Uh, third question of the Furious Five: What's the best movie or TV show that you've watched recently? These are good. I need, I need to, I need to get my answers really sharp for this. I haven't gotten asked these types of questions in a while. Honestly, the first one that comes to mind is The Great. It is hilarious, and it's not. I'm not bragging about being smart. It's not some tech show. It's just a hilarious, it's probably the best script I've listened to or read, geez, watched in a long time. It's about Catherine the Great. It's amazing. Okay. Excellent. 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 Fourth question of the Furious Five. Where is somewhere in the world that you have yet to visit that's on your bucket list? Iran. So my, my mom's Iranian. I've been to pretty much every other place in the Middle East and North Africa, but because of kind of the government situation, it's hard to get in with an American sure. passport and I'm going to find a way. So that's, that's always been on the top of the list. Well, when you find that way, we can't wait to see the pictures. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Same. I can't wait to take them. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. The last question of the Furious Five is really Adam's question. And so at this point of the show, I always like to turn the mic back over to him. So Adam. Yeah. <laughs> so Quinn, you are, you know, at the point of the spear for 
change in the way that we're learning languages around the country. What will stay the same about language acquisition over the next 20 years that your competitors would disagree with you on? I've got such a quick answer and it's that language needs to be social. Every investor, every company is gonna to wanna to turn into an app with some AI and it's never gonna cut it. Language is intrinsically the most human endeavor and to cut the other human out of it is a waste of time. That was an yeah. excellent answer. And that's why guys, you need to check Quinn out. He is absolutely doing something that, uh, that, uh, that is gonna change our world for the better. And, uh, and I want to just give him a full-throated endorsement. We should all be uh, having here. the opportunity to, uh, to, to learn more from the work he's doing. Great work. Quinn, next, next time we chat, I need some help with my Arabic, man. I've been trying Ooh, to learn. I got you. I, oh, I, uh, I've been trying to learn, um, you know, one of the endeavors I'm involved with is an organization called To Move Mountains that's doing education work in Ooh. Sudan. And, uh, Man, I thought I was pretty good at foreign language acquisition, and Arabic is humbling She's me. Just wait so. until Arabic. Oh, we could we could talk for hours. I'm still. Oh man. Okay. Well, I'll I'll get some time it? on your calendar just to get some personal that's advice that's from you. And, and Quinn, before we close out the show, you may know this, but but Ryan and I are are building the actual world's first virtual reality school, and so we've just gotten approved so in the cool. state of Florida as a virtual instruction provider. And so when we think about the opportunity, right? So we're one of nine virtual instruction providers in the state of Florida that's authorized to actually offer curriculum for a completely wow. tuition-free virtual reality school, right? And so mm. I just think about the synergy between a language acquisition curriculum company and the world's first virtual reality tuition-free charter school. And it, to me, it seems like we should be uh, talking offline and figuring out Please. how we can bring, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, this is a no-brainer. It's a layup. So we'll send you uh, some information about the work we're doing, and uh, we'll learn more about what you're doing. But I think this is just, to me, you talk about rowing in the same direction. You you see it the way we see it, and uh, and and we'd love to see, especially when you roll out things like Spanish in the yeah. state of Florida. Oh, yeah. um, we'd love to figure out how we might create some synergies. We're in. Awesome. We are in. Thanks, guys. This has oh, been a ton of fun. <laughs> Win Tabor, everybody. Thank you so much for your time. Mm -hmm.